0: The newest addition to our family is uh, about a month and a half old, and every time we have a child, there's a few things that I'm reminded of. And uh, looking as I'm holding the little infant, uh, it's amazing to think about the humility of Christ in becoming man, being born as an infant, so dependent upon mom and dad to take care of every need change uh, feed it's all this it's amazing thinking about the humility of christ um, coming from heaven being born as an infant uh, it's incredible uh, and another thing that comes to mind is just the simple miraculous nature of life itself a, a brand new person a brand new soul uh, the Lord knitting us together in our, in our mother's womb. And then we're birthed into the world. And we cry out. That's typically what happens. Baby's born and they, they cry. And I, I get it. I, I like to be warm and cozy. And going from warm and cozy to a cold, bright room. It makes sense that uh, we would cry out. And we continue to cry out. Our crying out does not stop after we're born. Um, We still have times that we cry out. We still face moments of hardship and and loss. Uh, We face turmoil and despair in the sin-cursed world that we live in. There are moments that are uncomfortable and we even ask hard questions of, of God. And so we cry out. And who we cry out to and what we cry out for shows us where our heart and treasure lies. This morning we're going to think about biblical lament as we take a look into Psalm 10. We will see what biblical lament looks like while also seeing the response and prayer of someone who sees evil in the world and struggles with how they feel about that evil and struggles with how they view God? What it seems to be, how how is he handling this this evil? They're struggling with that. Psalm 10 looks at a life and looks at the wicked in the world, and there are some serious questions that bubble up to the surface as this psalmist cries out to God. My prayer is that in studying this psalm, it will help us to know how to cry out to God in a biblical way as we bring our complaints and as we bring how we feel to the Lord, while also not forgetting the promises and the character of God. So if you haven't already, turn to Psalm 10, and we'll read this together. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desire of his soul And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it, into your hands to you the helpless commits himself. You have been a you have been the helper of the fatherless, break the arm of the wicked and evildoer, call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted, you will strengthen their heart, you will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Uh, Lord, ask that as we uh, study this morning, that we would be cut to the heart, uh, that we would be convicted and encouraged, uh, that you would draw us uh, to you, that we would grow in our our uh, Christ-likeness as you speak to us through your word. Amen. So this lament begins with two major why questions that are they're directed right at God. Look at these again. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Are these questions are, are, are they true? Are these questions true? Does God stand far away? Is he far off from his people? Does God hide himself in times of trouble? These questions should make us feel a little uncomfortable. (laughs) These questions are asking God why it seems like he's not acting like God. The Psalms are full of difficult questions directed at God and what he's doing. When you start to notice these questions, they start to pop up everywhere. Just a few chapters over in Psalm 13, verse 1, says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And in Psalm 77, verses 7 to 9, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? There are many more examples that could be brought up. These are hard-hitting questions that are questioning God himself. What are we to make of this? Is there any truth in these questions? Let's begin with this. We have answers in Scripture to these types of questions. There are many passages we can go to, but here's just a few. Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 34:18, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 23:4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will no, I will fear no evil, for you are with me; your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Hebrews 4:15-16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. God is present. God is close to his people. God provides help. But these questions are coming from someone who, when they look at the world around them, when they look at the circumstances they're facing, this is how they feel. It seems like God is standing far off. It seems like God is distant. It seems like God's not helping, like he's silent. Have you ever felt like that? Spurgeon has a beautiful quote about this passage. He he says, The refiner is never far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. And the Son of God is always walking in the midst of the flames when his holy children are cast into them. But be encouraged that God is with his people. Is it okay to ask God these types of questions? Yes, here we have them in, in the psalm. Uh, we even sang the psalm a few weeks ago. Uh, these psalms were, and still are, put to music and, and sung in churches. We're being taught how to biblically and faithfully lament. However, we need to be careful that we're not being self-centered, or beginning to be angry with God and even blaming God for evil. That would be wrong. God is not responsible for evil. He has no darkness within him. His character is the definition of righteousness. So in our laments, we are not to blame God for evil, but to bear our soul out to him even as we ask questions. Here's part of the beauty and what's so helpful about biblical lament. Scripture is teaching us how to handle our emotions in a biblical way. What do we do with our pain? What do we do with our suffering? What do we do with our questions? Bring them to the Lord. Biblical lament is where you bear your soul to the Lord. He knows what's on your mind and on, on your heart anyway. Pour your heart out to him. Even when you, what you feel and question does not correlate with what is true about God. The point of this is that rather than letting those questions direct our hearts and minds away from the Lord, because we can ruminate upon them, and we can even get these questions answered in a false way from our own minds or from the world around us. So rather than letting those questions direct our hearts away from the Lord, instead bring them to the Lord and be drawn back to God by being reminded by what's, by what's true. Even though we may feel a certain way, we may be experiencing and thinking about difficult questions, there is a foundational rock of reality in the truth of God's character that we can fall back on and hold fast to in times of suffering and lament. We see this at the end of the psalm and throughout the rest of Scripture. There is truth to build our life upon even as we struggle. Biblical lament can help us get there As we work through the questions, work through the difficulties we have in our heart and find a resolution in what is true. So be encouraged to bring questions to God in prayer. Even hard questions about where he is and and what he's doing. This is part of a biblical lament to the Lord. But what is the reason for this lament? Why is he feeling this way and crying out to God? It's because of wickedness. The next portion of the psalm is structured into two parts, where it begins with a character trait of the wicked man and ends with something that the wicked man says in his heart. Each part, uh, so you look at verse 2 and verse 6, that's one section, and then verse 7, verse 11, that's, that's another, another section. Look at verse 2 here, I'm going to read this again. In arrogance... The wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Spurgeon says of this psalm, There is not in my judgment a psalm which describes the mind, the manners, the works, the words, the feelings, and the fate of the ungodly with so much propriety, fullness, and light as this psalm. The first character trait of the wicked that is mentioned here is arrogance. Arrogance. And it is arrogance, that this pride, that leads one to afflict another person. Spurgeon kept having great quotes. He says, Pride and tyranny, the one the root and cause of the other. Pride is the egg of persecution. Arrogance. Pride is the driving factor behind the wicked man. It motivates him and pushes him to make the decisions that he makes. And what does he decide to do? He decides to pursue the poor. Why the poor? Two reasons, and the first is, is telling. Look at verse 3. For the wicked boasts of the desire of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. The wicked turn on the poor because they have first turned on God. They have renounced God. They turn away from God, and then also turn away from those who bear God's image. In renouncing God, they have set out to not only pursue their wicked desires, but to boast in them as well. They believe the desires they have are are, are virtuous and worthy of being paraded and bragged about in public. One commentator stated, the spirit of American materialism declares that greed is a virtue, that in fact, greed is the foundation for success. We can see how this is on display in the world around us. The greedy man who is... Never content, never satisfied, always wants more, believes that it is his greed that has given him the, the ambition to succeed. And how, how could that be wrong? A greedy heart is a self-serving heart. There is such thing as godly ambition. A person with godly ambition is not interested in building a, a kingdom for themselves, but is interested in using their gifts and abilities for the glory of God and for the good of others. A godly ambition desires to work for the Lord and not for men, which would include the self. We want to encourage godly ambition while also warning against godless greed. A step towards godly ambition begins with being faithful to God instead of renouncing him. This translates into being generous, generous to people rather than desiring to take advantage of other people. The second reason why they pursue the poor is because there are some who are easier to take advantage than others. It's evil. The fact of the matter is that the poor are vulnerable and don't have as many resources to protect themselves. The fatherless are also mentioned in this psalm. Having no father to offer protection brings about a vulnerability. that We could see them and scheme and devise. The prayer of this lament is that the wicked would get caught in their own schemes. The wicked are making plans and plotting to catch certain people and take advantage of them. Pride leads people to use others. When we are proud in our own heart, we look around and see others as less than us. A proud person will act as if others are not as good as them and not as deserving as them. In fact, a proud person sees other people as a means to an end rather than seeing people as being made in the image and likeness of God. They reject that each and every person, no matter if they are rich or poor, they are created by God for his glory. They reject that. They see other people as being created for their glory. Pride is a breeding ground for greed and actually leads people towards atheism. Verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. All of his thoughts. Humility drives someone to the Lord. Humility is a recognition of needing God. We are made to be dependent upon God. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. We are dependent upon him for all things, whether we like it or not. Pride leads to the thought of, "I I don't need God. Which is an absurd thought to have because of the reality of the fact we're dependent upon him for everything. Pride is not logical, it's folly, it's foolishness. And this foolishness leads a proud man to not seek after God because he thinks he has it all together. Because he believes there is no God, he has become a God to himself. He lives to please and serve himself. If someone's thoughts are, there is no God, It makes sense that they would also think there is no accountability for their actions, no ultimate judgment to come. A major part of this that's infuriating is that the wicked seem to prosper. The wicked seem to prosper in this life. Verse 5, His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations I shall not meet adversity. An unfortunate thing in our sin-cursed world is that those who are wicked and take advantage advantage of others can gain and prosper from their sin. Taking advantage of people is just that. There is an advantage to be gained. Using others to serve self. But it's not a true gain. It's not true prosperity. It's a deception. It's a building up of treasures on, their, on earth where moth and rust destroy, and the thief breaks in and steals. Even though the wicked can look around at their enemies and puff at them, what a picture that is, puffing at them. Huh. Uh, even though this is the case, the judgment of God is on high. There's great encouragement here. The wicked feel like they are above everyone, but the judgments of God are higher and out of their sight. Even when there is someone who is causing affliction upon the lowly and helpless, someone who is using their power and authority to take advantage of others, there is someone who is higher than them. God is greater. Remember that. The, the second characteristic of this man is violence. Violence. And there are two types of violence that he commits. Violence of speech and physical violence. Verse 7, His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. One commenter pointed out that violence of the tongue is the most common type of violence found in the Psalms. The book of James warns us about the power of the tongue. James 3, verse 6, And and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. A mouth that is filled with cursing is exposing a heart that is full of cursing. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Curses and deceit find their home in the heart of the wicked. Don't underestimate the power of your words to wreak havoc upon your life and the life of others. Our words can cut to the heart like a sharp dagger. Our words can carry destruction. This is the purpose of cursing. The passage is not talking about specific curse words, although they may be used. It is talking about a heart and a mouth full of placing curses upon others, bringing evil to someone by using the power of the tongue to introduce suffering into the lives of others, to deceive and oppress others with the weight and influence of words. From a heart and tongue of violence also comes violent action. Murderous intentions move to murderous action. Verse 8, He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch For the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. It's a pretty vivid picture. It's a clear painting of a man who goes to where the people are, their homes, their villages. He has deceivingly acquainted himself so that he knows where the hiding places are to lurk in an ambush at the proper time. The scheming of the wicked shows his blatant cowardice and evil. He hides to ambush the innocent. He's not fighting to protect anybody. And the people he fights against are not attacking him. He's not defending himself. They're innocent. This man's a coward attempting to catch an innocent person completely off guard in order to use them for his own desire. The value and worth that he sees in people has nothing to do with their value and worth in being an image-bearer of God, but only in the value and worth that he sees that he can profit from them in some way. He seeks to take from them, even their life. The wicked in their pride and evil conform themselves into the image of Satan. They become like the devil himself. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. A lion eats and lives off of the flesh and blood of their prey. The analogy that the scriptures are using about the wicked is that they are like this lion, living off of other people stealthily scheming plots and waiting for their chance to pounce upon their unsuspecting prey. The wicked live off of other people. And the heartbreaking reality of this is that the helpless are crushed, sink down under the weight of his might. And the wicked man does not believe that God will call him to account. Verse 11, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face He will never see it. In his pride, he thinks that he's going to get away with it. He believes the Lord does not see the evil he is accomplishing. He doesn't know what's ultimately coming for him. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. Uh, I'd like to provide a biblical example of some of what we're seeing in this psalm and how it actually plays out in an actual historical event. So during this time, Ahab is king of Samaria. There is a man named Naboth who has a nice vineyard. It's his family's inheritance. Ahab sees it and desires to have it for its location. Ahab wants to have that nice vegetable garden right by his house. Ahab is willing to give Naboth another vineyard or to pay for it. But Naboth refuses, saying in verse 3, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Naboth, he knows the law of the Lord, decides to obey God's commands, even though Ahab is wanting something from him. Verse 4 And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. He is distraught over not getting what he wants from another person. It ruins his day. It ruins his appetite. He goes straight to bed to lay down. All this over a garden. Ahab is king. He has plenty of other places where he can have a garden. He just wanted that one spot. But Naboth obeys God and says no. Now Jezebel, Ahab's wife, finds him and asks, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? So Ahab tells his wife about what happened with with Naboth. Uh, Jezebel starts to plot something and tells her husband, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. They are about to use their power and position to to take advantage of one who is in a more helpless state than themselves. And the way they do this in their pride is by using words and by using violence. Look at verse 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal... And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. The leaders obey. They publicly lie about Naboth and then stone him to death. And when Ahab hears about the news of Naboth's death, this is what he does. Verse 16. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Do you see the trajectory of what just happened here? It's just like Psalm 10. Ahab has a desire in his heart to have something that is inappropriate for him to have. Uh, he tries to get it, but is de- is, he's denied. The pride of their possession of authority leads them to misuse their authority and power in order to take advantage of Naboth. And the specific way they do this is through lies, deceit, words, and also violence, murder. They're living their life as if there's no God. The heart of the wicked lives a life of practical atheism, They think that they can get away with whatever they want. These things are worthy of lament. It's evil. So what now? Evil has taken place. Questions have been asked of God. Frustrations have been aired out. What next? Allow your lamenting to bring you to a place of acknowledging your need for the Lord and to ask for help as you remember the character and work of God. Allow your lamenting to bring you to a place of acknowledging your need for the Lord and to ask for help as you remember the character and work of God. Verse 12 of of Psalm 10. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. So at the beginning of this lament, we have difficult questions that are posed to God, along with the reason why for these questions. Uh, The frustrations are given to the Lord, but the lament does not end there. There is an appeal to be made to God based upon his character, pleading for God to intervene on behalf of the afflicted. The psalmist asks God to lift up his hand. This is a cry for help. It's based upon what is true about God. God is strong and mighty to save. He can lift up his hand to support those who are beaten down. He can bring justice to the wicked. He sees all that the wicked do. He is the helper of the fatherless. With his strong arm, he is able to break the arm of the evildoer as he calls the wicked to account. So commit yourself to God. Do not give up hope. Do not give up joy. God is mighty to save, and he's the one who's in true authority. God wields his authority with righteousness and holiness. He is not evil in how he rules and reigns, but is is instead good and compassionate. Verse 16 The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. There are those who are in places of authority and power who act like they are king forever. But God is truly king forever and ever. The nations perish, but God is eternal. The Lord hears the desires and cries of the afflicted and is able to strengthen their heart. Be encouraged by this. God can strengthen the heart of his people. God God can strengthen your heart. And there's a time coming when God will complete his justice so that the wicked of the earth will no longer be able to strike terror. Evil will come to an end. In closing, here are two points of application to think about. First, if you are someone who is suffering under the affliction or oppression of another, or you are lamenting the evil you see in the world around you, How are you to think and respond in a biblical way? Cry out to God. He hears the cries of the afflicted. The love of God is greater than any of the powers so that there's nothing that can separate you from it. Even the schemes and the works of the wicked. Even death itself. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. They do not have ultimate power over you, the wicked. They don't. Cry out to the Lord. Find rest for your soul in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've talked a lot about abounding in hope this year. at Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We're able to have hope even during a time of being afflicted by the wicked because of the finished and complete work of Jesus Christ. If you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, then you have a hope and a joy that can never be taken from you. The wicked may be able to break in and steal. This is true. They can do that. The wicked may be able to apply pressure, cause hurt and destruction in your life. This is true. They may be able to do that. But the hope and joy you have in Christ is not something they can touch. They may try to take that joy from you, but you are God's child. If you are in Christ, there's nothing that can happen in this life that can change that reality that you are the Lord's. The world may be able to kill our body, but they cannot kill our soul. Cry out to God. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Also, cry out to others. God is able to raise his hand against the wicked. God uses a means to do that. Paul reminds us in Galatians to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As a church, we are to have our eyes set on looking to, the, to help those who are in need. Uh, to lovingly give of ourselves as Christ has given to us. James 1 Uh, Verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. One of the calls of the people of God is to look out for those who are vulnerable. Uh, We are not called to take advantage of anybody, but instead to show the love of Christ and being generous and meeting the needs of others. But we must not get that confused with the gospel itself. Uh, Meeting someone's needs is a loving thing to do, but without belief in the gospel, that person is still lost. Do not get sucked into the idea that the gospel is to do good works. Uh, The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. It's a message to be proclaimed. Uh, He died the death we deserved on the cross, taking the punishment of sin in our place, rose again from the grave that those who repent of their sin and and believe in Jesus, can have eternal life, forgiveness of sin. So we as a church, we can bear each other's burdens together in love as we care for each other and are generous towards each other. And if the affliction and evil that someone is causing upon another person is raised to the degree of criminal offense, God has instituted governing authorities to wield the sword to provide safety. Romans 13, 3 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. In some of these situations, it may be necessary that... The the governing authorities that God has instituted would protect a vulnerable person in the affliction and oppression they are facing and that justice would be given to the evildoer. Last of all, this one's a little bit more confrontational. Do you have any traits of the wicked man? Do you have any traits in common with the wicked man Do you ever think, speak, or act in arrogance? Is your heart full of pride? Do you boast in yourself and your desires? Are you greedy for selfish gain? Is your mouth full of cursing and deceit? Is there violence in your thoughts or even in your actions? Do you look at people and think about how they can serve you rather than thinking about how you can serve them. The Lord is gracious to call us to repentance. The, the truth is that each of us is a, we're in need of saving. Each of us has wickedness in us. We're, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to, to cleanse us from our sin and to give us grace and mercy that we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance as we live our life every day. So today is the day of salvation. You can have your sin, your evil, your wickedness forgiven and be made into a new creation. So repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is faithful to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness, all of our sin. What an incredible God we have It's amazing. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you are a God who provides all what we need. We thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted, that you are an ever-present help in time of need. I ask that you would help us to lament well, that as we experience suffering, uh, as we see suffering in the world around us, as we have questions, that we would bring these questions to you that they would be answered by you and be answered with the truth, that we would not look for answers elsewhere. Lord, help us to pray that we would speak uh, our struggles and bear our heart to you, that we would be reminded of, our char- of, of your character, that we would be reminded of, of the truth of who you are, what you've done, that you would strengthen, of our, strengthen our heart. Lord, I ask you help us to be a people that abound in hope, that we would, as a church, look and view other people as the image-bearers image of, image of God that they truly are, that we would not use other people for our own glory, but would seek to show the love of Christ and be generous and, and loving and bear each other's burdens. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who offers forgiveness, even though we are like the wicked man sometimes. We uh, are proud. We are arrogant. Um, We say things we shouldn't say uh, because our hearts, out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. Lord, help us to be people who repent, that, that turn away from our sin and turn towards you. We pray this in your name. Amen.